Now today I want to speak to you about Christmas, salvation, and suffering. Now you might be wondering, that sounds a little grim, right? This is Christmas Eve, it's a time to be jolly, isn't it? Rather than thinking about such sad subject as suffering. Well, I want to reassure you that I have no plans to ruin your Christmas. Most importantly, we are looking at this subject, Christmas, salvation and suffering, because we are going through a look. And we are currently looking at the first visit of baby Jesus to the temple. Some 40 days, actually, after Jesus was born. Uh, And as is there... His parents, of course, have brought him to fulfill all the religious rituals God commanded in the Old Testament uh, when a firstborn son is born. So they have brought him to Jerusalem some 40 days after he's born. That's why we left Jesus, actually. Last week, we left Jesus in the temple, and Jesus was having a conversation with, well, not him talking, obviously. The old man is is growing as a normal man, right? So he's not yet talking at 40 days, right? He's a normal baby. So, the, the old man, Simeon, is having a conversation with Jesus and his parents, right? Jesus, of course, is not talking. We're going to get there. Right? We're going to get there. But he's, 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 Simeon is there. He's talking to Jesus. Uh, he's, he's, we've left him with Jesus and his parents, right? And uh, as soon as Simeon, of course, we saw last week, sees, sees Jesus, he gets excited, doesn't he? This is the person he's been waiting for all his life. And so we think he politely, obviously, he hasn't just grabbed the baby. Uh, he's, he's got out of the baby, having politely asked the parents, and he's holding this baby Jesus in his hands. And I'm imagining him as he's holding Jesus in his hands, tears are running down his cheeks, as he thanks God that finally he has made Jesus. Are you thankful that you have made Jesus? Are you thankful for that? Have you made Jesus? Well, Simeon has made Jesus, and he's made him in the flesh. But we also know that Simeon uh, really is, is, is another follower of Jesus, isn't he? Because this is the one he has waited for all his life. And so we read last week, verse 29 to 33. Here what Simeon says as he's holding Jesus. Lord, now you are letting yourself and depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And then Luke says, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Why? Because Simeon is saying to God, I am now ready to die. Why? Because this baby in my arms, this baby I'm looking at, this baby Jesus who has been born, is the answer to all my longings, to all my desires. Is not just an answer to my desires, it's an answer to the longings of Israel. Not just Israel, but it's going to be a light for the Gentiles. You, oh Lord, in this baby have come to serve us. And you know, I've been pondering at that. Simeon is praying to God, but he's praying to the baby, isn't he? Because the baby is God's. Oh, the wonders of God's grace. We learned that, didn't we? Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 33. We looked at it last week. And we said it is teaching us that Jesus is God's gift of lasting comfort to us. Is a gift of lasting comfort to us. To have Jesus is to have all the comfort you need, friend. 
All the comfort you need in life. If you have Jesus, you lack nothing. The question for you this morning is, do you have Jesus or not? So that's where we left off. He's holding the baby, right? Today we're continuing. He's still talking. And he now, I think, hopefully, he's not about the baby, right? He now speaks directly to the parents in verse 34 to 35. Verse 34 to 35, he says this. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What is Simeon doing there? He's giving us the first prediction of the future suffering of Jesus. Simeon is saying this child in his hands will suffer greatly. And his man Mary will suffer emotionally on his account. So this passage, as I step back, it's got all the elements. Because why is this child going to suffer? It's going to suffer for salvation, through service, right? So it's got all the three elements, isn't it? Christmas, right? Salvation and suffering, right? That's, that, that's essentially what this passage is about. And I want us to learn those, um, what it teaches about the relationship between salvation and suffering in Christmas and the two truths which are in your outline, right? The first truth I want us to look at this morning is that the birth of Jesus brings us salvation, brings us salvation through his suffering. We are saved through his suffering. The second truth we're going to look at this morning is that the birth of Jesus actually brings us suffering through his salvation. Because he has saved us. If we are his people, we have been invited into a fellowship. Of suffering. We see it in Mary, and we're going to see it hopefully in ourselves as well. Two things. Let's look through those things. The first point, then, the first truth the birth of Jesus brings us salvation through his suffering. Simeon, in verse 29 to 32, which you read earlier, has just said that the birth of Jesus will bring salvation for his people. And now in verse 34, to 35, he explains how that salvation is going to come about. How will it come about? Well, let's read those verses again. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, if we look at those verses and we just step back and say, what is Simeon getting at here? Well, the key word to look out for there is appointed. This child is appointed. This child is destined. That's what appointed means. Simeon is saying that God has ordained Jesus to come into this world to do what? Everything that follows. To suffer in order to serve us. How is Jesus going to suffer? Well, God has ordained that when Jesus grows up, he will not be welcomed by everyone in Israel. Many will reject him. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed him and said to his mother, Behold, this child will be appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And then he says, And for a sign that is opposed. 
The last sentence there in verse 34 is crucial, really, to understand the whole passage, right? Simeon is saying the coming of Jesus is a sign or a miracle or a wonder of God that will be opposed. For the moment of his birth, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be opposed by people in Israel, the very people he has come to save from sin. The salvation that Simeon has talked about from verse 29 to 32 will come about not through Jesus being welcomed with open arms, but by opposition. Jesus will be the rejected Messiah. It's quite a thought, isn't it? He will be the rejected Messiah. Why would Jesus be opposed? Well, because, says Simeon, God has ordained Jesus to usher in a kingdom that will lead to new winners and new losers. Did you pick that up in verse, at the beginning of verse 34? Behold, this child will be appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. There will be winners and losers. Some in Israel will lose. Those who are at the top of the social and religious hierarchy will hate Jesus. It is the stone that will cause them to stumble. The powerful and self-righteous won't humble themselves. And perhaps this morning you haven't yet turned to Jesus. Why? Because you are not willing to humble yourself. Jesus is a stone of stumbling for you, as he was a stone of stumbling to them. Isaiah, of course, had already predicted that in Isaiah 8, verse 14 to 15. They will oppose him because they won't be willing to humble themselves. But those who humble themselves before Jesus, they will enjoy blessings of being his people. They will enjoy a rising. And, and you know, in the new year, we'll see Anna rising as she rises. Right? We've already seen Simeon rising. We've seen Mary rising. We've seen Elizabeth rising. These are people who have humbled themselves before King Jesus. In reverence, who are now being made to stand. Those who bend law in confession of their sins, those who bend law in dependency on the Messiah, will be lifted up by his strong arms of salvation. Jesus will serve them. Jesus will make them stand. But sadly, many in Israel will not welcome Jesus. In fact, it's a great reversal. They will oppose King Jesus to his face. To the degree that they will put him to death, Simeon is prophesied. Look at verse 35 there. Particularly the first sentence, which is in parenthesis. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, we'll come back to this verse as a whole, right? The thing I want you to note are two words there. Sword, and the last word at, at the end of that first sentence, also. Simeon is revealing to Mary that Jesus is going to suffer, and this suffering of Jesus is described as a sword that will in turn pierce the soul of Mary. Now, here's the thing. The word for sword here in the original language, right, signifies not a small sword, but a large sword. The suffering of Jesus will not pierce Mary like a knife or a blade. It will be a machete. The suffering of Jesus will be so violent that it will emotionally machete the soul of his mom. Hack it 
into. She will be shattered by his suffering. Now look, as included this record because he's hoping we'll carry on to read the gospel. And as we read on, we'll get the full details of how these things happen. We will see that the prophecy was fulfilled. The Lord Jesus was opposed by the people he came to save. And they eventually murdered him on the cross. Oh, friends, we need to let that in. You know, I've been pondering about that for a long time this week. Jesus came to minister to the very people who were opposing. Parents, take note as an indirect application there. Doing the work of God, wherever God has placed you, will always be difficult. Our children, we're very much trying to help. We will oppose us one day. Ministry is the same. The very people we're trying to minister to will oppose us. We will make the work hard. Being at work is the same thing. The very company we're trying to help will make our life difficult. In this world, doing God's work faces opposition from the very people we are trying to help. And if we only let that sink in, oh friend, it will change everything. Because to minister like Christ, wherever God has placed you, is to minister in, with ordained opposition. And here we see, that's just a side note. And here we see the Lord Jesus himself, isn't it? We see as we read through Luke, the prophecy is fulfilled. God gave this prophecy to Simeon, didn't he? To prepare Mary for the suffering of our dear son, Jesus. So that when that time came, she would persevere. We'll come to what that means for Mary and that. But the point I want you to see is that by including this Christmas prophecy, this prophecy in the middle of Christmas, right? Luke wants us to know from the start that our Lord Jesus Christ was born crucified. He was born crucified. Our Lord Jesus was born that first Christmas for the very purpose which is to suffer for your sins. To suffer at the hands of sinful people. To suffer at your hands. He came on a mission. Because you share, you're a human being, right? He came on a mission to die at your hands. To die at your hands for you. And amazingly, he did it as a sovereign appointment by God. We know that this was all according to the plan of God. Not only because Simeon tells us, but because of the prophecy we just read in Isaiah at the beginning of the church service. Isaiah 53. You know, friends, as I thought about this, I thought this is the most shocking. I need to let this sink into me. This is the most shocking truth of Christmas. God sent his son in this world on a death mission, friend. What are you celebrating tomorrow? You're celebrating a death mission. Christ coming to die. And you know, he came knowing full well that evil men will lay their filthy hands on his sinless body. Knowing full well that he will be scorned. Knowing full well he will be spat on. He will be rejected. And he will be put to the sword of the cross. 
Our Lord Jesus came willingly, friends. He willingly accepted this death mission. Not for himself, friend. Not for himself. But for you, friend. For you. This is the reason he came. He came because of his love to suffer at the filthy hands of sinners for sinners. He came to pay the price for your sin. For your sin. What love. What love. You see, we are all sinners. Every one of us, we, we stand guilty and condemned before God. And the penalty of our sin is death. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6 verse 23. That's what we all got. We are all on spiritual death row. And all that awaits us now when we die is eternal separation from God. Whether we accept this truth or not, that's the reality. We can't pay our way out of hell. We don't even want to, if we are honest. We know that because when the Son of God came, we killed him. But you know what? He allowed that to happen to himself. For us. God the Son came that first Christmas to save us by his suffering. He came, not by accident, he came to die for you. He came to take the sword of the cross in order to remove your hostility against God. Are you not amazed? Does it not surprise you? That the wonderful news of Christmas is that God is not asking you to clean yourself up. He's not asking you to make yourself holy. Some of you know I had a man this week come over to repair our cooker. And I asked him, how do we get to heaven? Oh, he says, well, Christianity teaches that we're going to tie ourselves up. We're going to do everything we can. And it's impossible, to I tell you. It's impossible. What Christianity demands is irrational. I said, have you read the Bible? That is irrational, but have you read the Bible? The Bible says God isn't asking you to make yourself righteous before him. You can't. The Bible makes it clear you can't. No, what God has done, God knows you're a sinner. He knows you can never be good enough for him. He knows that your best deeds are covered in the stench of your sin. So what has God done, friend? I ask. What has God done? Well, God, so rich in kindness, has intervened. He has come in Jesus. He has allowed our filthy, sinful hands to grab hold of him and to nail him to that cross of wood. He has willingly, oh Lord, willingly allowed evil men to kill him, to spit on him, to mock him, to brutalize his flesh and nail him to the cross. Why? For us, friend, for us. He did it for me, he did it for you. To pay the penalty for your sin. So that if you truly trust in his suffering for you, God will forgive your sins and God will give you a new life. He'll come and live in you and he'll adopt you into his family and give you a great eternal future in his kingdom. You will be delivered from darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Have you done this? Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? I'm not saying have you been baptized. I'm not saying are you a church member. Have you genuinely been regenerated? Have you experienced new birth? Has God truly convicted you of your sin and made you cry out to God, Save me, O Lord, I I perish. Have you cried out to him based solely on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there been that change in you as evidence that you've truly repented? Can you see evidence that you have truly been saved? We are not saved by works. We are saved for good works. Friends, true conversion is not some tick box. It's regeneration. From death to life. Is there evidence that you have been born again to a living hope? Are you growing to love Christ more every day? Yes, ups and downs, yeah, but do you have warm affections towards him? Has change happened for you? Well, if you haven't been truly converted, if there's been no regeneration, then I ask you this Christmas, come, go to Jesus. This very moment, ask him to save you. If you truly repent and turn to him, he will save you. He is strong to save, friend. He is strong to save. That's why he came. He came to suffer for your sins. To suffer the very hell you deserve on that cross. Cry out to him this morning. Let him save you from hell. Oh, friends, do not doubt the truth of hell. Don't treat it as just one other word you hear on Sunday. If you have any doubts that there is a hell and Jesus came to save you from it, then take a look on that cross. Why did Jesus, God himself, allow himself to suffer in such a way? Because without God the Son suffering for you like that, you would have to suffer for yourself in hell for all eternity. Hell is real. And Christ has come to save you from it. Turn to Jesus today and live. Cry out to him to save you. This is why he came. He was born to bring you salvation through his suffering. Now some of you here already trusting in Jesus. I mean truly trusting in Jesus. Is that you this morning? Then rejoice at the truth of Christmas. Christ was born to save you through his suffering. Oh dear friends, did you not forget just how precious your life is before God? The Savior willingly came to suffer for you. He denied himself for you. It is astonishing, isn't it? It should leave us speechless to think that God 
stripped himself of all the robes of his glory that first Christmas on a mission to die for us. To think that God loves me so much that he was born in my flesh so that he could bear the punishment for my sins, me, Chola, for my sins in his perfect body, in the body of the Christ man. Oh, friends. Have you experienced the wonder of the cross? Have you looked at Jesus dying there for you? If you have, friends, then I ask, I ask you honestly, do you seriously need any more motivation from God to be faithful to your husband? Do you seriously need any more motivation from God to be faithful to your wife than the cross of Jesus? Do you seriously need any more motivation from God to be a faithful, godly, committed Jesus or Jesus type parent? Than that Christ there was pierced for you. Do you need any more motivation, friend, to take your church membership seriously? Is it not enough that Christ was crushed for your sins? Does it not excite you that Christ was crushed for the church? And do you need any more comfort for your present suffering than the knowledge that Christ was born to suffer? For your salvation. Oh friend. If there is no motivation for these things. Let us not waste our time here. Repent and live. Repent and live. You are not yet truly regenerate. If you cannot find comfort in the cross. Then what is there left for you? But the cross. For those who are suffering, this is our comfort, is the cross. Because if you're suffering and you trust in Jesus, be encouraged, beloved, that you have in him someone who not only knows your suffering intimately, he endured suffering for you. And as I know, some of you here are going through deep suffering, right? Be comforted, friend, that there has never been greater suffering than the suffering of God in Christ. No one has ever descended so low because no one has ever come so high. Than Jesus. That's your comfort. And it because it's your comfort because He did it all for you. And now God in the ear now wants you to persevere in suffering for Him. To wait patiently for Him to act in whatever situation you are in this morning. You know He's not asking you to do something He has not already done for you. He has done infinitely more for you. He has suffered infinitely more for you. But He hasn't just suffered, He has risen from death. You know that Christ is the Son of Man who has now entered heaven for you. So no matter what life brings, you have a wonderful life in Christ. Why? Because God is lovingly and sovereignly preserving you through this life with all his challenges and bringing you safely to his glorious kingdom. Heaven assured, as one of the hymn writers said, isn't it? That's our song. Heaven assured. 
So if you're suffering, this wonderful truth that the birth of Jesus brings us salvation through his suffering should be a comfort, isn't it? A comfort for us in and telling us not to despair in face of suffering. Be comforted. Be comforted because of that. And be comforted because why? Because God is the one who has appointed us to suffer as he served people in Jesus. And this is the second truth. I only got two truths, and this is my second truth. The first truth is what? The birth of Jesus brings us salvation through his suffering. What's the second truth? The second truth is the birth of Jesus brings us suffering through his salvation. You know, many people think that the message of Christmas is that God has come to make us smile all the time. That's what many people think, right? Christmas for many people is a time to escape our sorrows. We see it in the adverts, don't we? I mean, this is, I mean, this year people are celebrating Christmas. Have you noticed that? It's big. I mean, I drive during the evenings and just, I always measure, it's just an economist in me, you have all of these things that you just see, the houses are always a clue to how society is doing. And this year, like, oh, man, the lights are everywhere. On every corner. The country is happy. It's coming up with COVID. It's a nightmare we overcame. Praise the Lord. All right? And uh, this is the first post-COVID Christmas, genuinely. And people are excited. Maybe it's because Kia Stama is around the corner. Uh, I'll leave you to decide. They're excited. They're celebrating, aren't they? Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. We should be rejoicing. People are able to celebrate Christmas without fear, right? But the adverse seems to think Christmas is simply about the time to be jolly and feast. Apparently, that's what Jesus came to bring to this world, a time of constantly smiling. And you know what? This misguided view of Christmas means that many people are actually put off from celebrating Christmas. Or what they do is many people, including Christians, they constantly they pretend their way through Christmas. You know, Serena Bergman writing in The Independent a few years ago, she said this, I do wish Christmas wasn't so awful, she said. Sorry to break it to you, but Christmas, no matter what John Lewis adverts have led us to believe, is a deeply cruel, elitist institution that needs to end. Christmas creates a painful sense of loss, inadequacy, and failure for many people. Now, you won't agree with everything she said, I hope, but at least, and you won't like the way she has put it across, but she has a point. Christmas is not a happy time for everyone. Because Christmas does not stop the pressures in our lives. In fact, for many people, Christmas brings long, painful memories. So Serena is onto something there, right? But the problem with Serena's line of thinking is that her understanding of Christmas is flawed. She thinks that is Christmas. She thinks Christmas, as it's celebrated, is meant to be a time of pretending we are happy. Well, it's quite the opposite, friend. It's Christmas, salvation, and suffering. The message of Christmas is that God has come to meet us in our suffering, not away from it. And in fact, welcoming Jesus leads us to more suffering. In fact, I would even go further. If you are suffering this Christmas, you are identifying more with the Christmas family 
the first Christmas family, Mary and Joseph, and their experiences during that time, than anything than anybody else. Because Christ came in the context of suffering. A rejected man from the beginning. And Herod, of course, will soon be after him. So we know that just from the Christmas narrative, but we see it also just it was a life pattern. We see this in the final words of Simeon to Mary there in verse 35. That sentence. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. We've talked about this. Notice that the words are in round brackets. What's that about? Well, well, they're there to separate them from other words which are about Christ. But actually, I would argue that I have a feeling that even the last sentence, so that many thoughts from many hearts may be revealed, shouldn't necessarily be, di- be divorced from the fact that this word will pierce through Mary's soul. But, so the parenthesis is in some Bibles. In some Bibles, there are no brackets, right? It's just to help you understand the Bible uh, a bit more clearly. And the key point there, I think, is that fundamentally, this is a reference to Mary's suffering in light of Christ's suffering. Right? Simeon is saying to Mary, you experience deep suffering on account of your relationship to Jesus. The suffering of your son will make you suffer. As I said before, the word also is reminding us that Mary will follow Jesus in suffering. Not physically, but in fellowship with him. As one who belongs to Jesus. As one of the people of Jesus. Now, of course, at this point, Mary will have understood these words that Simeon is saying as being that she's going to suffer as a mother, right? On account of Jesus. That's how she'd have understood. But as we read this in the context of all of Luke, we'll see that by the time we get to the end of Luke, it will be much more clear to us that Mary is more than simply a mother of Jesus. Mary is the follower of Jesus. She'll be there at the cross. She'll be there in Acts. And this is part one, remember, of Luke's two books, right? And Luke, from the beginning, has been at pains to show us that Mary is the first believer in the Messiah. She, is the, she was the first to welcome his arrival. Luke 1, verse 30, 38. And Mary said to Gabriel, didn't he? I am, to Gabriel she did, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. And we understand the Lord there, that Mary's Lord is Elizabeth's Lord. The mother of my Lord, Elizabeth said. Jesus is Christ the Lord of the angels. Is the Lord of the shepherds. Mary belongs to the people of the Messiah. That's what Luke wants us to underline from the beginning, from chapter 1. Now all of this is simply stating the obvious and perhaps you're losing track at this point. Shall I move along, move along quickly. We've got uh, Christmas shopping to conclude before the uh, shops close. I'll get there. Don't worry about that. I, I recognize I'm stating the obvious. But why am I saying it? Well, because what Simeon is saying to Mary here is intended to teach us an important truth. Right? And the truth is this. All people of Jesus, people who are served by Jesus, are appointed to share in the suffering of Jesus. We are served to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's shocking. Our suffering for Jesus does not serve us. Only the suffering of Christ serves us. But our suffering for Jesus is a privilege, friend. It's a privilege. 
It's a blessing even. Our suffering for Christ is a blessing of being saved by Jesus. In the Bible, suffering for Jesus is part of the package of our life with Him. We could go into the doctrine of our union with Christ. There, we are living out that union life we have with Christ. Christ suffered, we also suffer if we share life with Him. It is part of the gospel for us to suffer for Christ. You see, the suffering of Christ changes how we see suffering. Instead of living to escape it, instead of living to avoid suffering, Jesus has come to give meaning to our suffering. He has come to use our suffering for his glory and for our good. Being a Christian does not lead to less suffering in your life. Did you hear that? Being a Christian will not lead to less suffering in your life. Actually, I would even make a good argument that it's the opposite. Because on top of suffering now as an ordinary human being, you suffer now also because people hate you for being in Jesus. So actually being in Christ brings more suffering, right? But fundamentally, it's not less, right? Right? What being in Christ does is that it changes how we suffer and why we suffer. Right? It gives meaning and purpose to our suffering. The Christian suffers as an investment in the bank of heaven. Our suffering is never wasted. And we suffer with the comfort of our salvation assured. So if you are thinking about turning to Christ to suffer less... You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Because God meets his children in the middle of suffering. But the good news is that your suffering has meaning now and purpose. It's an investment in the bank of heaven as it were. It's never wasted. And you're suffering with the comfort of that salvation assured. You will persevere through suffering. And of course, we never suffer alone. The Lord Jesus Christ is always in our Gethsemane. And God, the Holy Spirit, will always be present to, to comfort us. So, so far from Christmas being about an escape from suffering, the time to be jolly, the Bible teaches us the birth of Jesus actually is an invitation for us to share in the suffering of Jesus. In fact, one of the best ways to celebrate Christmas is to be even more sacrificial than we've ever been. To plunge deeper in suffering for him during this season. The Lord has been teaching me this very, very truth this week. It's vital we grasp that. Don't be like, oh, I'm getting on to Christmas and tomorrow I'm just going to put my feet up. It's time to work, to labor, to live for him. To endure as good servants of Jesus Christ. Simeon is teaching us that Jesus came that first Christmas to serve us by his suffering. And our salvation in Christ leads us to share in, in, in his suffering. In suffering with Jesus. So how should we respond to this truth? Well... Simply this, there's only one application to that. 
We must welcome it wholeheartedly as Mary did. Mary had the prophecy and carried on to the end to suffer for Jesus. Now this is hard for us to welcome. All of us want to be made an exception. As somebody, <laughs> as one brother told me this week, I don't want to suffer, Pastor. I said, yeah, I agree. I agree. But we've been called to suffer. We want God to make us the exception. We want to be great evangelists from our comfortable sofas and large televisions, don't we? We want the world to hear the gospel without ourselves suffering for it. We want to lead a ministry in the church without any opposition to us. We want to be as successful with, like Jesus, but without the scorn, the spitting, the death. We don't want to suffer loss, pain, and disappointment. We want God to bring revival to this country, but such a revival must come without any persecution. And certainly, without any of us having to stand for righteousness publicly and be scorned for it. This is all true in areas of service outside the church, isn't it? You want to be a great parent without sacrificing any time or comfort on your part. You want to be a good employee without opposition and struggles at work. You want to be a good neighbor without having any rude neighbors. That's normal, friend. That's normal. We are not created to suffer, and it's wrong to pursue suffering. Suffering is alien to us. It is a product of the fall. So it is normal for us to think life is better without it. But the Bible is reminding us here that in a fallen world, God has redeemed suffering. God has married our suffering with our life with Jesus. And we need to welcome this truth as Mary welcomed it. And I wonder, friend, what ministry in this church is God calling you to and you don't want to do it because you are lazy about it and you don't want to suffer for it. Think about your life outside the church. Where is God calling you to be his servant? And you just don't want to do it because it is hard or costly. Is it in your family? Is it in your place of work? Is it in your friendship? What situation is difficult and God wants you to suffer in it, but you don't want to do that. You just want to be lazy. You just want the comfort of this world. This morning, friend, answer the call to suffer like Mary. It is why Jesus came. Now, I've thought about this. I'm completely diverted and I need to finish. But, you know, I was, I thought it occurred to me, like, what happened if Mary said no? Like, oh, this is not my portion. <laughs> I think God in his providence would have found a way for Jesus to grow up perfectly still, be looked after, and still go to the cross. And Mary would have missed out at being the mother of sorrows, as some traditions call, call. would have missed out on the privilege of sharing in the suffering of Christ. This, this morning, let us answer the call like Mary. Let's not miss out. It's why Jesus came. He invited you to, uh, to share the privilege of suffering for him. So submit to him. Be willing to suffer for him. 
Now to do that, you need to pray to Christ to make you more willing to do it because it's hard for us to do that. We cannot make our hearts embrace suffering for Christ. Christ must bend our will to His. So let us pray specifically that God would bend our will to suffer for Him. Let us pray in particular that God would give us a greater grand vision of who Jesus is, that we would look at Christ and we would see that Christ is worth every inch of my suffering. You see, the key for being, for being willing to suffer for Christ is to, to, to see Christ for who He is. Right? To be clear why, who we are suffering for and to see Him in His glory. Many of you would willingly let down your life for your children. You would. You would do that. Why? Because you're so clear in what that is involved. You do it for your, grand, for your grandkids. You won't spare anything for them. Clarity of what we're, who we are working for what we're doing is so vital. And you know what? The greater the vision for Christ you have of who Jesus is, what he has done for you, the more you'll be willing to spend and be spent for the gospel. So pray for that. Pray that God would give you a vision of who Christ is. A biblical vision. I don't mean like see Christ, right? None of that. I'm saying... To see his magnificence, the wonder of who Christ is, so that in everything we do for him, we we'll draw comfort because we know we are laboring for. See, the problem is that we don't trust Christ enough. And because we don't trust Christ enough, we don't want the tension of having to continually depend on him. We hate the uncertainty of suffering, don't we, for him? But it's a fleshly way of living, friend. Mary did not complain against this dark providence. She saw it for what it was, providence of God. And a sword will pierce machete through your own soul also. And I'm sure Mary said quietly, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And we need to do the same. So let us pray that the Lord helps us to read his words. To sit under the preaching of his word and to grow in meditating on the glory of Christ. So let me conclude and we'll end. Let me conclude by just asking you a question. What will you be celebrating tomorrow? What will you be celebrating tomorrow? Well, Simeon has given you two things you are meant to celebrate tomorrow. First, you must celebrate that the birth of Jesus brings us salvation through his suffering. You must celebrate that the Lord Jesus has been born to suffer for our sin. Let this truth be on your hearts tomorrow, friends. Let it be in your conversation with family and friends. You're going to have so many gospel opportunities tomorrow. And you have them today. I mean, as I said, they are just so everywhere. From repair people who come, from people you're bumping into. People are asking questions. Oh, I have never known people to ask questions of what's going on in the world than now. Start with that. Say, Jesus has come to bring salvation through his suffering. And if you still got Christmas cards to write, here's the practical thing. Write that. Don't just say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, blah, 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 blah. Get the gospel in the card, friend. And put that card through the doors of your neighbor. How easy is that? Christ came. That neighbor we don't really speak to, isn't it? <laughs> right? It's a good opportunity to do that. 
That's just simple, right? Celebrate that in advance by getting the card out, right? Secondly, let us celebrate that the birth of Jesus brings us suffering through his salvation. I'm not saying let us celebrate suffering. There's nothing good in suffering in of itself. Suffering only brings blessing when married to Christ as a privilege, right? So what I mean is that let us celebrate that because Christ has come in our suffering in this world. In our world, our suffering is no longer meaningless. So whatever is going on in our lives, we can celebrate. Whatever we are suffering, let us celebrate. Let, let, let us know that our suffering is now for his glory and for our good. I hope you will celebrate Christmas tomorrow, not by hiding your pain, even from family members, but by taking it to Jesus, by laying it down at his feet, and asking him then to, to, to help you be a good witness in the middle of your pain. And if God gives you grace, friend, if God gives you grace, and he will, willingly thank him that he has been at work through all your suffering in 2023 for his glory and for your good. Thank him by faith, even if you can't quite see just how he has been at work, because you believe that it is God who appointed your suffering for his glory. And for your good. So those two things. The birth of Jesus brings us salvation through his suffering. And the birth of Jesus brings us suffering through his salvation. Well, may the Lord help us to celebrate the coming of his son. Amen.